The review podcast, yeah. Okay, hi everybody. Um, welcome to the review podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Bree. And this is a podcast in which we review movies. And then we review movies. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We pick a movie that one of us has seen at least one time, and then we watch it, and then we chat and talk about it, and all that good stuff. Yep, exactly. So hi, Bree. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing today? I'm good. A little sweaty. A little sweaty? Drinking my tea. It's hot. We have a heat wave going on. I wish it would stop. Here in these streets. <laughs> in these streets, the heat is too damn high. It is very hot. It's been very hot. Um, like, even the most menial tasks outside, I'm just like, I'm so hot. <laughs> I'm so hot. It's been um, kind of nasty. I mean, I don't notice it, though, as much because, like, I don't work out outside i work out inside so it's not as bad i get really hot at the gym though well like i just was thinking about the other day when i had to take the garbage cans from the front to the back because it was trash day and they had picked up our trash i was out there for i don't know five minutes he and comes I'm just in like, soaking wet i'm just dripping sweat i love when anthony will like turn to me and be like i'm so hot <laughs> We're no. just sitting on the well, couch no. and he's like, and we're eating dinner and he's like, I'm okay. so okay. hot. Can I tell you something really embarrassing? Can I tell you something yes. really embarrassing? The podcast is an avenue to which we can open up, I suppose. Um, so whenever, you know, once, at least once a week, I, I make myself some mac and cheese because Brie will have her healthy meal and it's like, man, I don't want that. I had a salad yesterday. I'll make myself. I am so uh, on board though in making Anthony a salad. Like I will make him the salad. I I do my normal salad. It's spinach, lettuce, green onion, strawberries. I put in broccoli and asparagus, a whole grain noodle, and then some type of protein. One whole grain noodle. No whole grain noodles. Like oh. I did the whole wheat rotini, and then I'll either do like a chicken. Or we had leftover pork, so I chopped up some leftover, like, pork and put it in my salad. And then I put some calamari olives in there, too, because I really like, like, that really salty burst. And then I do, like, the light Italian dressing. And I make it, like, it's not, it's, like, maybe 500 calories for the whole salad. And it's huge. And I'm so willing to make him his own salad. But he's like, salad's not a meal. I don't think salad is a meal that I can have for dinner and be satisfied so, with. So, but he'll eat a box of macaroni and cheese. So that wasn't the embarrassing thing. And I said, Anthony, don't you want a protein? Like, are you going to eat something with <laughs> the macaroni and cheese? No. Well, what am I going to waste the box of mac and cheese? I just think it's kind of like, I don't know. And also he puts like a whole like fourth of a cup of salt in the it's water. It's not the embarrassing thing though. What's the embarrassing thing? The part? embarrassing thing is that whenever I eat that mac and cheese, I don't know why, but I sweat <laughs> when I eat it. <laughs> and it's like I was sitting on the couch yesterday, it was already hot in our house, even though the air was on, and I'm sitting there eating the mac and cheese and I'm like, why am I sweating right now? <laughs> And the, the cheese sweats. I was just about to say, the cheese sweats, not the meat sweats. 
and like i'm on this i'm on a diet until our wedding and it's like pretty much like i haven't had like dairy except yesterday i had myself a little ice cream as a treat bananas foster ice cream it was really good yeah but i haven't been having dairy so like cheese haven't had it milk no like i've been doing pretty good and anthony's like i like cheese i like cheese so much i'm gonna have just cheese for dinner with some noodles with some noodles yeah mac and cheese and then i'm making dinner tonight because i make dinner every night it's like not a big deal i i like to make dinner i was gonna make like she doesn't like when i make food because you say that i over season things and she's rolling her eyes i love seasoning like i have so many seasonings like that's not the issue the issue is like everything he makes is a salt lick so here's my it tastes like Someone put a chunk of salt, and that's all you're eating. You're not eating food. You're eating salt. I blame my father for that one. Um, my father has uh, is a fiend for salt. He's had kidney stones uh, a n- number of times, <laughs> not just once, um, a number of times. I'm resigned to the fact that it's going to come back to bite me in the future, so might as well enjoy it now. And I think my problem with making food is, and we've talked about this, why I can never like be a chef. I don't have the palate. My palate is weak. I I have this seasoning. And like, if you're from the South, you know, it's slap your mama's Cajun seasoning. So good. Anthony cannot have it. I don't like spice. It's not even spicy. I mean, it's not that I don't like spice. It's I can't handle spice. So, like, Brie and I have always wanted to do hot ones with ourselves. With, and like, I could do it. She makes like, it with different sauce, and then we do, like, a podcast or something while I have the wings. However, I don't think I'd be able to make it past the second wing. And I'm I like, think that would kill me. I, I think I could make it up into, like, the bomb, and then I'd be like, oh, no. Oh, no, sweetheart. I'm going to die. I mean, we have easy access to the sauce. So- I've seen some of the sauces out in the wild before. Um, there used to be this uh, sauce store at the mall that would have a bunch of them like in stock. And I was like, man, why don't we do this? And Bree's like, you can't do it. There's no way. Um, ever since I had COVID two years ago, like I, I can handle like an obscene amount of spice. An obscene amount of spice. But Anthony, he never got the COVID, um, so he didn't get that blessing. My friend, um, who is a police officer, he, he we know his partner, um, or I think his former partner, um, and she had gotten COVID, like, really early on into the pandemic. And she would send him, like, because you lose your taste, and she would send him videos of her just, like, ripping shots of Jepson's Malort. And for those of you who don't know, maybe are not from Chicago or Illinois, that don't know Jepson's Malort, it's uh, a very, very, very bitter Chicago-made liquor. I find the whole... Like, I'm going to let you continue, but I want to talk about... I didn't lose my taste in the aspect where other people lost their taste. I could still tell the difference between sweet, sour, savory, but I just couldn't taste that particular flavor. Like, can you taste bitter? Yeah, I could. You would be able to identify. I would. I would. I was able to identify 
just based like oh we did i've never had no we did a taste test it's different for everybody yeah but anthony and i were like doing like a taste test like i closed my eyes and had to guess like the food that he was giving me Mm -hmm. i could identify pickle juice and ketchup oh yeah we did do that didn't we like all that stuff like i i knew like what i was eat like i drank protein shakes like the entire time i was sick with covid and i had the they were protein shakes and they were caramel flavored and the only reason i drank them was because it tasted sweet that's it it was like mm-hmm. i couldn't taste caramel all i could taste was like sweet mhm and i don't know other people like had nothing Whereas I, I feel like I, that's why I questioned whether I had COVID, but I did test positive for COVID and then I got like super sick <laughs> and Anthony and I couldn't even see each other. <laughs> it was so sad. Yeah. Um, for 14 days. Yeah. I'm assuming that going back to the, what we were talking yeah. about previously, um, I once got a, uh, fraternity brother of mine for, uh, a secret santa gift i got him a bottle of jepson's malort and he's like what is this like i've never heard of this because it's like a strict it's almost a strictly chicago thing and i grew up in the city so well there are people who uh grew up in like okay i'll use my friend as a example she lived in naperville and we went to a bar and me and like the three other people i was with we told her you should take a shot of malort and she's she like, didn't know what it was. She didn't know what Malort was. She ripped a shot stone cold. Some people can do that. I've I was seen like, some people do oh that. Oh my before. god! I, we all like everyone at the bar, not even in our group, but everyone at the bar just like looked and stared. It's like, like one not of, it, a gag. It's either. one of those things that if you come to Chicago, like it's almost a rite of passage to take a shot of Malort at a bar, or some friend buys it for you, or something. It's almost a rite of passage <laughs> Don't in <do> Chicago, it. <laughs> and. Like, I've been in situations where people have bought and some people have gotten somebody a shot and said without telling them what it is and just being like, take this. And you just see the reaction on people's faces, like the wincing. And there's the uh, Malort has a, you know, some liquors, when you take a shot of it, it's like an immediate, like, it's gross, but then it kind of goes away, right? There's not really like a large aftertaste. Malort sticks with you for a couple of minutes and it's not that it's it's almost like the aftertaste is worse than the whole thing <laughs> the actual tastes shot. like actual garbage yeah um my stepdad once told me he's like he used a pretty good metaphor or simile i guess for it he said it's like rubbing your tongue with sandpaper <laughs> <laughs> he's like it's like eating dirt <laughs> I think it, dirt would be preferable. Yeah. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else going on? Um, not, mu- not much. Not much. Um, we're actually we're recording this ahead of time because our movie today is The Wedding Singer. And I think it's getting removed from HBO Max at the end of July. So we got to hurry. So we had to hurry and kind of watch that so we didn't have to pay for it. Because I had to pay for Death Becomes Her, which just got taken off of HBO Max. And He was mad. I wasn't mad, but I was like, ugh, it's like $4 to rent. It's like, ugh, what do I rent movies anymore? Was this the 1990s? <laughs> um, Yeah. 
So we watched The Wedding Singer. Neither of us took notes because we said we've seen this so many freaking but times. Then, yeah. But then we were in the middle of watching <laughs> The Wedding Singer. We both look at each other and say, yeah, I should have took notes. Yeah, we probably should have taken notes. So maybe I don't know how well this one's going to go. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for a ride. I, I got to say it's what it's a preferred Sandler movie for the for me. This and um, it's a different vibe, I think, for Sandler. This one in 51st States is one of. Yeah, my favorite. Yeah, um, I'm also like a huge Drew Barrymore fan. So mm-hmm. any other BSing that we want to get out of the way? I don't know when the next time we're going to record the pod probably is. in a couple of days yeah probably in a couple because of days. i'm not gonna want to because i okay so i go back to school not till the august 24th so like a long time and but anthony goes back to work earlier than that i go back in like the second week of august Ooh, it's I'm like right have... so i just signed up for because i'm almost done with my master's program and i'm finishing up a summer class right now and i just signed up and paid for and registered for the learning behavior specialist one exam so that I can get endorsed in special education. And um, I scheduled that for like the middle of August, like right before I go back to school. It's like the two days before I go back to school. I'm just excited um, to start this year. Like I'm going to go to Michael's like and do a Michael's haul before the year starts. Because my classroom theme for the beginning of the school year is rainforest. So, like, everything the kids will do will be rainforest themed. And so I have, like, a lot of stuff to buy. And I'm not rich. So it's going to take, like, all my heart to not to, like, freak out about spending money. But I think it's be really cool um, because what I'm finding is, like, these kids coming in are a lot more emotionally immature than previous like first graders so like i'm having more like playtime. Mm-hmm. but like playtime where you're learning something like oh it's a bin where there's like rice in it where it's like sensory but you're like searching for words and making sentences sure so it's like or like searching for like maybe we're learning about sh makes the sh sound you're looking for the SHs inside the bin and pulling those out. Like something where the kids can like get the skill but also like they're playing because I just like I noticed because I did summer school these kids just want to play. Like they just want to be kids and play. Sure. And how can I give them as much of that as possible while also teaching them content. And we know play based instruction works. It's it's, it has data backing. It's a proven method that play at, while like meaningful play helps children prosper. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm using backed data. I can prove as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yep. I, I mean, I'm a big, I've become a big proponent since I've been in my master's program of data-based decision-making where it's or database proof, I guess, of what you're doing and if it's successful. When I was in my undergrad, I, I like they didn't. They tell were good. You they about... were good at history, but they weren't good at education in the program. Where it was like, I feel like I once I got into my master's program, I was introduced to a lot of things that like I had never been exposed to, like database 
decision making. I, or I feel the same. Data. I feel the same. Especially way. because I teach at a private school and we're not required really to um, collect and disseminate data, which I'm trying to push for a little bit more now. Where it's like, yeah, we in our teams should be continually collecting data and like it's a little tough because not everybody is used to that so we're and i'm not used to that but we're trying and i think that it it so is like the best way of proving that what you're doing is either working or not working so like in my ap class for example like i would give them three diagnostics throughout the year same practice ap test at the beginning middle and end of the year and it was a way for me to progress monitor almost and say okay well they're here at the beginning of the year at the middle of the year when we've done half the content and half the skills then they're here and i can see that growth or for some of them i can see like a, a stagnation i guess where it's like you're not making any meaningful progress and so I can go question by question in these tests and see, okay, we're consistently getting this concept wrong and this concept wrong and this concept wrong. And we can focus in on it. Some some more stuff I have to do for like next year too. And I think I wasn't even exposed to data-based decision-making until I was like in my practice. Like we didn't cover that in undergrad. Because I feel like there's not enough time. They're teaching you how to be a teacher. And then when you get... I didn't even know what an SLO was until I walked in that first like day of like my actual job. I didn't know what it was until I got into my master's program, like halfway through. Like, what's an SLO? We don't do that. <laughs> no, I, I've begun to do that with my classes. Like say, okay, I want my students by the end of the year to be here, 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 here. The school in general or like our division doesn't necessarily do that. I would like to push for us to do that as a division a bit more like in social studies. We should all make sure our students are able to do this and this and this over the year. Even though we're in different like levels and different like uh, contents, like in social studies for us, it's not only like world history, it's American history, it's all the electives, it's all the religion classes too because it's private school. Um, there's different like, I guess it's different discipline, but you can still have like, you can still teach the same concepts. Like, my world history class is heavily based in reading and writing skills. You can still do that in a religion class, right? Yeah. You know? So, uh, that's it for talking Ed. Right. For today's <laughs> podcast. Um, I would want to tell you right now, in real time, Brie, I'm getting texts from people um, that they are receiving our invitations. Oh, I got a Snapchat from my brother's um, girlfriend. She was, she was like, these are so cute. I was like, thank you. Mm -hmm. Our wedding invitations. And um, one of my best men said his parents got his, but he didn't. And they live in the same household. So That's I don't hilarious. Know. That's weird. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. See if the male lost it or whatever. But um, in our... Uh, discussion of our wedding is a nice transition into discussing our film for today, The Wedding Singer, starring oh. Adam Sandler. Yes, 1998's The Wedding Singer. Oh gosh, let me put up, pull up some of the uh, credentials here. 1998's romantic comedy film directed by Frank Corsi, uh starring Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore, Christine Taylor, 
uh, Buscemi's in this. Like, all the Adam Sandler gang is in this movie. Um, Alan Covert, um, shoot, uh, yeah, Billy Idol makes a cameo. Kevin Nielsen is in it. Robert Smigel, Peter Dante, uh, John Lovis, Steve Buscemi. There's so many, so many of the Sandler regulars in this movie. So let me backtrack a little bit before we get into the next phase of our Sandler dissection. Because last podcast with Sandler, we discussed Billy Madison. Yes. 1995, Billy Madison. And it, this is the world's introduction into Adam Sandler as a top name star. And for the most part, he's pretty successful at it. Even though people told him, like, eh, I don't think this is the route to go, Sandler. Um he sticks with it. He's pretty successful. In the years later, three years in between this and uh, Billy Madison, the wedding singer, he uh, makes Happy Gilmore, which is another classic Adam Sandler movie. He kind of plays the same like neurotic character as Billy Madison, but it's just like a different thing. Um, and then 1998 comes and we have The Wedding Singer, which we both, when watching this movie, said this is a much different vibe than we've seen, like with Billy Madison, for example. And there are some reasons to that. Um, I think we have a very uh, likable Adam Sandler in this movie, whereas in Billy Madison, he may not have been the most likable all the time. We have a... Uh, how do I want to word this? In Drew Barrymore, we have, like, a another top name star as the secondary lead. Yes. You know, and that makes a difference, too, because people know Drew Barrymore. People love Drew Barrymore at this point. And we got to take a step back and talk about Drew Barrymore in 1998 and leading up to 1998, too. So, Drew Barrymore, I mean, you know a little bit more about her, like, career i guess drew barrymore mom aspiring actress took she, her to all sorts wasn't of she an et she was an et yes right she was a little girl in et she won she was nominated for an oscar at a young age i believe drew barrymore I'm getting that wrong. had a pretty rough childhood she you know was frequently dragged to clubs with her mom was around a lot of drugs and alcohol, went to rehab very, very young. I believe it was like 13. It's like 11 or 13. It's like mm -hmm. very young, went to rehab. And now you just see Drew Barrymore. It's very evident. Like to me, she just appreciates everything about living. And it feels like, you know, maybe she didn't think she was going to get this far. Yeah. Okay. I'm not seeing Oscar. But I am seeing Golden Globe in in 1984, so when she was a kid or a teenager, I guess. So I know I remember hearing something that she was like a very young award winner nominee. Um, so she's you know prior to all of this, she's already pretty well known in America's spotlight, um, kind of like this American sweetheart type role. And she was always seen as like a kid until she did Scream, and uh, she, I mean. She, we can discuss Scream at a later time, but she's billed as, like, top of the cast list on Scream. She's on the front of the poster, but yet she's only in the opening scene. 
and it was to surprise the audience. Wow, we have Drew Barrymore in here. She's like America's darling little girl, and she's like throwing F-bombs, and she gets like gutted on screen and everything, and she's put in this position where, okay, now Drew Barrymore has broken through as being seen as more of an adult, but we still consider her as like America's sweetheart type Love her. casting. Yeah. So then Ooh. we get into The Wedding Singer in 1998, where this is an adult role for Drew Barrymore, and it still kind of positions her as America's darling. You know, she's uh, very much like innocent, not innocent, but um, you love to love Drew Barrymore. You know what I mean? Yes, we, we love her. She is very, she's very good in this role. And she's really good in this role. She's, I think Sandler's really good in this role, too. Sandler's, like, likable in this role, which, like, a lot of his movies, he's not, like, the most likable. Well, and, that, and that's what I was t saying to you when we were watching the movie, as we were not taking notes and just kind of discussing. Um, I think that this movie, based on, like, what we've seen in Sandler in the past and kind of some of his movies that he makes later on, I think this is... Sandler at his mo most genuinely likable, you know, um, and it's because I think he he dials it down a bit. In this we talked movie. about how in this movie it's like everyone else is crazy times ten, mm -hmm. so that Sandler comes off as like relatively normal. Okay, yeah. So let's talk about that because if we think back to Billy Madison, Sandler is kooky, crazy, scary skeleton guy, and he is biting people's hands and he's got a musical scene and he's like yelling all over the place speaking gibberish and people just like walk around and accept that behavior from him and i get why they make that choice with billy madison and we discussed that in the last pod but um this and we movie got, we get some like kooky characters but not but there's everyone. a reason that's uh, he, he this is the thing is like it's not Sandler being kooky, crazy, neurotic for a large part of the movie, it's a lot of other people around him being these larger-than-life characters. And that's the difference here between Billy Madison and The Wedding Singers. This one's a little bit toned down a, 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 by a, a margin. And I told Brie as well, I think that Sandler plays a very... Um, pulled back performance here but he gives a typical Sandler response in terms of like yelling at people like shut up <laughs> and <laughs> things like that but there's more of a reason for him to be doing that like in Billy Madison he's just that way in this it's like his neuroticism comes from heartbreaking grief and that's a really cool like difference in the movie versus or difference between the two movies, I should say, that we've reviewed, is that whereas, like, Ebert and Siskel gave Billy Madison some thumbs down and said, there's really no reason for Billy Madison to be acting this way. He's like, we don't get enough character development here. And I think that they kind of took that to heart when creating The Wedding Singer, because in this, there is a reason for him to be acting strangely and weird and like kind of crazy it's because he's heartbroken and i think that adds a bit to the character and adds a bit to the movie i think that 
and you might disagree with me. What do you think? Let me ask you first. What do you think? Like, in you cry a lot in movies. Yes. You do. You cried when um, Pa Kent died in Man of Steel from the tornado. You're like, eat my butt, dude. Um, and what affects you the most in movies? Like, what makes you the most, like, oof, like, this is, this is bringing something out of me? Parents. Parents? Like, what about parents? If they die. Just, like, something bad happening to parents? Yes. Okay. Because I have an unhealthy attachment to my own. Sure. Um, I think that sometimes, um... Oh, Pa Kent seems like it makes sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, what you, you... I mean, you've cried at, like, other stuff before. That's oh, dogs. That's been, like, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, dogs, I mean, I think everybody... Dogs. Uh, what did I cry out that was ridiculous? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head. Exactly, because I'm a totally sane human being. <laughs> I think grief is... I have done nothing wrong in my entire life. I think when actors portray grief really well... If it's grief that I've experienced, I'll choke up. Like, anything about, like, Alzheimer's and, like, grandparents passing away makes me upset. Mm -hmm. um, I think about like we watched a couple years ago when it was nominated for an Oscar the movie Manchester by the Sea do you remember that one? with Casey Affleck where he is like taking care of his brother's kid um, but we find out later he's dealing with a lot of grief because his kids have passed away and he was kind of responsible for it I think he plays grief really, really well and powerful. And I think when actors do that, that's what gets like a visceral like reaction out of me. And I'm not saying that the wedding singer is like particularly good about, or like Sandler's particularly good in this role about like making me feel a visceral reaction to his grief and heartbreak. But when, when actors play grief well, they play grief well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of his, his character's motivations in this movie and the way that he portrays it as kind of toned down is a response to let's give a character that is dealing with grief and heartbreak over a lost relationship in a way that we haven't seen Sandler do it before. And I think that that's really interesting because as I have talked about why I've chosen the Sandler series is because we want to discuss Sandler going through different ways of growing up, teaching us how to grow up. So like Billy Madison teaches us maturity a little bit. I think the wedding singer teaches us how to grow up and deal with heartbreak in a sense. It's not the best, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the best example of that but Sandler in his own Sandler way does it so Brie what did you think overall about the movie overall I mean it's so exactly how I remember it yeah I mean it's good like it's, it's, it's very 80s oh my god I think so I gotta I'm gonna preface this by saying like I love this movie it's one of my favorite Sandler movies um I think it's where we see Sandler at his most genuinely likable his one of his most charismatic performances that he gives in this time period. And I 
think that they hit us over the head with the 80s stuff a bit. They hit us over the head with the 80s stuff to the point. And then they also like, okay, I have, I don't know of anyone who's ever had a wedding band. My mom had a wedding band for her wedding. That's so strange. Yeah. They're so limited in what they could do. Whereas, That's what we discussed. Whereas a DJ, click play. Well, like we talked about, I, do we want a band? Do we want a DJ? And we both said for our wedding, DJ, because you get more options and you kind of can get to control what's being played. Whereas a wedding band, you never know if they're going to be good or not. I guess you do know, but they and can always like expensive. F it up because it's live. What, like wedding bands are more expensive. Just get a DJ and it sounds better. That's I Yeah, I agree. Because I, I asked you when we were watching, I'm like, do people still hire wedding singers? And I don't know. I, my, my sister said she went to a wedding where they had a band. And it cost them like 10 grand. To hire a band? Yeah. 10 grand? 10 grand. And they portray, like Sandler portrays Robbie in this movie as being broke all the time. <laughs> That's the running cause for a wedding band. Well, you have to think, if you charge that much for being a wedding band, are you working that often? I guess you're right. But it seems, he works, what, three weddings in the movie? Two weddings and a bar mitzvah? It's just, it's, I, I, I just don't see the, it's, I was like, our DJ costs us, what, like a thousand bucks? Mm-hmm. Just play the music and just shut play, up. Just play music and shut up. Yeah. Oh, well, actually introduce us as we walk in. And introduce us. Yeah, but just play the songs that yeah. I want you to play. Just play the songs. And the no playlist as well. If you, oh, I swear to God. The do not play I list. swear to God, you play one thing on my do not playlist, I will be so angry. No cha-cha slide. No cha-cha slide. No wobble. No wobble. No, no cupid, cupid shuffle. shuffle. No yep. chicken dance. I'm glad we're on the same page. I just, I think those are so, maybe the electric slide. Boogie, woogie, woogie. <laughs> I'm just gonna marinate in that for a little bit. <laughs> I so, just, I anyway. just like hate. I just hate. I just hate line dances. Mm -hmm. I think this uh, this movie is particularly interesting to us as we're planning our wedding and we're saying like, did they really do it in the '80s like this? Did they like? Because it seems like. What we would define as like a traditional wedding is kind of on display here in the weddings that we see in 1985 in this movie, where like the tuxes are very like generic and the setting is very generic. Everybody's having fun. The music is bumping. But bride's hair be crazy. It's like a little different in today's age. I was discussing this with one of my uh, best men the other day. And I'm saying, we can't have traditional weddings anymore. It's too expensive. Ugh, We're not able to do it anymore. Anthony and I have been having just like an awful time with ours because everyone wants this traditional wedding. And so like, you're supposed to do it this way and this way and this way. And everyone's up our butts about it. And it's like... Like, okay. I love Anthony's parents to death. They want... They, they were shocked that we wanted a first look picture. Like we weren't, he wasn't going to see me for the first time as I walked down the aisle. We we're going to take a picture where he sees me for the first time before the ceremony, which is like unheard of. It's not traditional. It's not traditional. But like every wedding I've been to, except for my friend who, I'm lying. <laughs> uh, 
because my friend that got married in June, she didn't have a first look. But my friend who got married like a year Last ago, year, yeah. they had a first look before they like it was special because like you guys get ready separately and then you arrive to the same place. And you both like turn around and then at the same time you turn back around and they take a picture of your faces. I think a lot of the time like our parents generation struggles with how we do things today because Sorry. Oh, oh, Brie dropped her phone on the table and made a big bang. Um, I, I think our parents generation because they were getting married in time periods like if the wedding singer is in like the late 80s early 90s and uh because we are not able to or we choose not to do it their way and they see it as traditional it's like like i can't believe you're not doing it this way and it's like i don't think we can juggle with that the fact that weddings and like no nobody does things the traditional way our generation just doesn't do it like not just weddings but like everything like life like (laughs) anthony and i moved in together before we were married like I mean, or just like the fact that like our generation isn't having babies as much as our parents' generation would like. And it's because having kids is much more expensive than it was in the past. Dang, just to feed them little shit is expensive. There's a formula shortage. Like, can't even feed the babies. Like, (laughs) stop trying to make us have babies, guys. This world's so fucked up. (laughs) This world's so fucked up. Um,. Anyway, (laughs) I love that we quote that so much. We're quoting uh, Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave. Tell Spectrum no. (laughs) I can't move. (laughs) Anyway, so The Wedding Singer. uh, My general thoughts on it, this is one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies. I think it's one of the more well done of that era of Sandler, like the renaissance of Sandler. And it's because there's a lot of like, you know, I was doing my little bit of background research and I couldn't find a lot of information. It seems like it was a pretty straightforwardly made movie. Um, the movie has three uncredited script doctors and a script doctor is somebody who comes in and kind of spruces up the script and makes the scenes a little bit, um, a little bit better. The dialogue flows a little bit more. Uh, genuinely, because not everyone's like great at writing dialogue. Not everyone's like fantastic. Like, you might have a story and you might have an outline, but then the script doctors come in and they make it like better. Of course. So we have three uncredited script doctors. Adam Sandler is one of them. Um, tell me if these names ring any bells to you, Brie. Judd Apatow. Yes. Judd Apatow is an uncredited script writer in this Interesting. movie. Interesting. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know who Judd Apatow is, he is the director of movies like, uh, or writer-director of movies like 40-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up, Funny People, who Adam Sandler is in. Uh, and he's married to an absolute gem. Married to Leslie Mann, uh, ki- have kids that are now in different things. Uh, what's her name from you for? Maud Apatow? Yeah. Um, Judd Apatow is like a pretty big name in modern comedy. And... Uh, the third uncredited script writer is Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher? Carrie Fisher. The Carrie Fisher. Interesting. The Carrie Fisher. <laughs> she She worked as a script doctor. And um, she was brought in to kind of rewrite different parts of the script to make Drew Barrymore's dialogue more likable 
and relatable and genuine well and it makes spru- sense to spruce because, up the romantic scenes because it makes sense because like she's like very good a at woman her, she's very good <laughs> at her job of being woman yeah because men I, can't write women men cannot write women and i i we run into the same problem with um john green mm-hmm. he's he cannot write women he can't it's so bad it's it's so bad men just get, men often write what their ideas of women are yes. rather than what women actually are which are just like human beings <laughs> it's like john green it's like the manic pixie dream like we oh, don't yeah, he does, he does we do don't exist like that like well and like a lot of men write the female character only as a means of existing to make the male protagonist have a profound character development you know rather than the actual like female lead also having character development <laughs> I don't know. I read a lot of like women written novels and it's like not only is the female character like going through some stuff, but so is the male character. He's also going through stuff. Yeah. And their journey is how do they become together when he's dealing with his stuff and she's dealing with her stuff and they have to grow it's almost like you can have two protagonists that have a character arc <laughs> instead of one character being there to serve essentially as the function of another character's arc. It though I love when they just women like authors just put a male there because he just is there. A piece of meat. Yeah. A piece of meat. Because I feel like or often, as, uh, I feel as like Glenn, as Glenn Gulia would say in this movie top what does he say top cut piece of meat i just feel like so often women are just portrayed as like one note does it pass the bechdel test the bechdel test being a test in movies in which you have to have a female character or i don't believe more, so. more than one female character and they have to talk to each other and they have to talk to each other about something that doesn't revolve around the male protagonist. I don't believe this movie passes. I don't think so either. Because I feel like every time Drew Barrymore and her friend talk, it's about her fiance or about, like, Adam Sandler's character. Yes. Yeah. I think so too. Um, interesting. But I, Women I, have conversations not about men. <laughs> I have conversations about like what I ate today. <laughs> and like like what am i doing later that don't involve men at all but i very little i very scarcely talk about men to my girlfriends because like it's almost like human beings talk about a variety of different things it's like i rarely i love you but like when i talk to my friends i'm not like anthony did this today anthony's getting on my nerves anthony blah 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 i love you but like and I'm not asking my friends about their husbands. Yeah, like 90% of my conversations with my friends is quoting I, Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave. So, <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? So, uh, Carrie Fisher is brought in to make the Drew Barrymore dialogue a little bit more genuine and to provide more uh, authentic rom- romantic comedy scenes in the movie. And... This movie got a lot of like pretty positive praise from critics saying that it's different because in a movie like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore, 
you don't get the female perspective. And in this one, you know, Drew Barrymore is a secondary protagonist and um, we do get like her perspective. One of the things that they wanted to do in this was when they had test screen movies like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore to audiences, the audience feedback was we want Sandler in every scene that like that's what they wanted mm -hmm. and this one they did it differently they said we're comfortable not having sandler in every single scene so we have dialed down the sandler kind of raised up our female protagonist in different ways not perfect but it's better than it was and i think we get an overall better movie because of that we get two character arcs going on they intertwine with each other and we have motivation for our protagonist. We get Sandler's kooky, crazy neuroticism in parts, but it's motivated by the character's uh, journey through the movie. So, like, when he yells at people, it comes only when he's left by his fiance at the altar. <laughs> it's because of that that he becomes, like, crazy. We also see Adam Sandler uh, in a different role in this movie dealing with, like, depression and heartbreak because of that or depression because of the heartbreak i mean i told you i was like what would you do if you left me at the altar i mean it's like super embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> who is it more embarrassing for me or you you because yeah like, I, I, just, so. I just dip and you're like standing there like standing there with my thumb like, on my butt the fool yeah. like um, I would never because we just sunk so much money into this wedding it's yeah that's why I told Brian I'm like you don't have the balls you know, the balls I don't <laughs> also I've been like talking about for like the last like seven years of our relationship like I just want to get married to you mm -hmm. I just want to marry you yeah so why would I leave yep the movie it also um brings us to this natural chemistry that Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore have together this is the first movie in which they are kind of co-leads and, and they act opposite of one another in a romantic comedy. And they've done, I think, three before. Like, in um, in their history, I've done three movies, including The Wedding Singer. I think they did Fifty First Dates. And wasn't there another one? Ugh. Isn't it a Netflix movie? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Um, my stomach keeps growling. I'm sorry. My knowledge of Sandler in modern day because like he fell off the rails a little bit in my opinion but uh modern day sandler like the netflix movies where he did it just for the money i haven't watched those so like i don't know um <laughs> but they have do you think that they have really good chemistry together i mean maybe I don't they know. had never acted side by side before but drew barrymore was like really eager to star in a movie with adam sandler because she thought that they would have really good chemistry together audiences liked it i mean i liked it audience said more please and they do one like every decade <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i really like drew barrymore so i think she could do anything and i would be like more give us your please. best drew barrymore impression i can't do it i can't oh, i'm not man. i'm not a person with impressions i can't do it damn damn i was gonna try to get I you try, on the spot I, the only one i've been really working on is my elmo and you please don't <laughs> uh, god save it for another day please 
Anthony won't let me practice my Elmo, but I'm working on getting a hand puppet. So once I get a hand puppet, it's over for everybody. <laughs> God, she's going to be a ventriloquist. No, ham, I'm not a ventriloquist. I'm just going to have a hand puppet. Just be the people who like to do Elmo. They're they're talking mouth open because they're not in view. Oh, so you're not going to be in view with your puppet? No, I want to be like Elmo, where you can't see the person. All right. <laughs> um. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, one this we... podcast is going off the rails because we didn't take notes. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna try to go beat by beat into the movie but just based off memory i don't know how well that's gonna go so why don't we try it brie or go ahead. try to go beat by beat this is your movie you leave. interior <laughs> <laughs> interior wedding adam sandler singer <laughs> he's singing uh we are introduced to adam sandler's character robbie who uh, the year is 1985, and he is a wedding singer with his band, and he is singing uh, You Spin My Head Right Round. Right round like a record, baby, right round, right Everyone's round. Everyone's having fun at the wedding, and Adam Sandler is being naturally charismatic as the wedding singer, which is also acting as kind of like an MC. And, uh, you know, we get this scene in the beginning of... Uh, I was reading an article on how, have you ever heard of um, Blake Snyder's beat sheet, Save the Cat, where it's like there's 15 beats almost in like every story that you follow. And some stories like kind of deliberately work past the beat sheet. And uh, I was reading an article that was like, The Wedding Singer is a really good example of following the beat sheet, where it's like we're introduced to the character. Um, do you know where the... Uh, the phrase save the cat comes from no in aliens or alien 2 ripley is reintroduced saving a cat or is that an alien one i don't know but in one of the movies uh ellen ripley is introduced saving a cat and it's supposed to be an indication of like our characters introduced doing something nice so that we can identify them as the protagonist and sandler's character in this is like nice to old people <laughs> and like nice to kids and like genuinely charismatic and just like we're supposed to get this impression that he's like a genuinely good guy right um he does a lot throughout like this first scene that shows us he is a genuinely likable character we're introduced to his band um alexis arquette plays uh his I think what is the the pianist who sings the uh, Boy George song, and we're introduced to his friend, the limo driver, whose name I can't remember, played by Alan Co Covert, who's in like a number of Adam Sandler movies. Also played the caddy in Happy Gilmore, bunch of other roles. He was in Little Nicky. Um, gosh, uh, Christine Taylor plays a waitress, whose name I can't remember. And then we're introduced to Drew Barrymore's character, Julia, who is on her first day as a waitress in this banquet hall. And she gets goosed by an old guy. Ugh. Yeah. I'm sorry. An old guy touched my butt. That tray is smacking him right but, in the head. So this is the thing that's weird because like it doesn't feel like a Happy Madison-esque movie, like a typical Sandler movie. But it's also sprinkled with like things that are reminiscent of Sandler movies, like 
characters blurting out like outrageous lines randomly or um i guess we can get into it a little bit later on there's a scene that i particularly want to talk about in which i looked at you and i was like here's what makes an adam sandler movie and i don't necessarily agree with the comedy but this is what makes an adam sandler movie we can get into it later at this scene it's like adam sandler's character is getting married like the next day Oh, yeah, he's on the mic, and he's like, yo, you know, I'm getting married, like, next week or like, whatever. Because, like, the best man at the wedding... Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi said, like, some wildly inappropriate crap, so Adam Sandler's, like, trying to save the day. He does. And he gives a speech about love, and, again, save the cat, right? Our, our main character does something almost heroic, and it's meant to give us the impression he's a good person. And he, like, helps, like, this teenager who drank too much puke and that's where he meets like drew barrymore's character and he's like oh i'm getting married tomorrow blah blah, blah. and like that's their first interaction with each other mm-hmm. it's very cordial and drew barrymore's character had just moved to uh wherever they live in this movie yes, i'm to assuming be closer, california to be closer to her fiance who is a piece of shit yes so I think uh, one thing I noticed about Sandler's performance here is, uh, like I've been mentioning, he's toned down a little bit. And it's not like punch drunk love toned down. It, this is a different, this is like a more gentle Adam Sandler in this movie. He's not like, Billy Madison was him screaming every line or going, uh, not being Shut very- Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. And this movie is more like, Adam Sandler uses his indoor voice a lot. And he talks very, like, he talks very calm. Like, the way he delivers lines and the way he delivers this character is calm and gentle. And I think that's a very different departure than what we've seen from Adam Sandler in the past where he's kooky crazy. Also, Adam Sandler, like, gives, like, lessons music lessons to people. And his. I'm telling you, like, he's nice to old people. And his feet is, like, meatballs oh my so, god that's so, so he's freaking so, hilarious i love <laughs> when this old lady puts meatballs in his hand <laughs> that's what i'm saying like everyone's crazy around him but he's not the one that's crazy so adam sandler his character robbie aside from being a wet uh, a hired wedding singer he's also giving lessons to this old woman who's celebrating her 50 year anniversary with her husband the woman's like i just want to be able to sing this song really well so he knows that i care and i try and i still love my husband and he doesn't require cash payment but she offers him meatballs as a payment and he she's like oh i'm all out of tupperware and he's like i'll just take it tomorrow i'll come back for it and She's like, nonsense, hold out your hands. And I was like... And he just puts, she just puts these saucy meatballs <laughs> in his hands. And then she like holds his hands and crushes the meatballs. <laughs> it makes me want a meatball sandwich. Mm. So everyone's crazy around yes. Adam Sandler, but Adam Sandler's not necessarily the crazy one. For once. For once, right? It's a different, it's a little bit of a departure from Sandler. So it is then his wedding day is sad because he's like standing up there at the, the altar and the priest was like, maybe someone should call her. And well, and then they're doing like a quartet version of Don't Stop Believing yeah. <laughs> journey. And then his sister like comes on and she's like, I'm sorry. And it's like, 
she's not coming. She left a note. And he's like, so it's a, it's a was a bad note. <laughs> <laughs> and like he goes to be alone and he has a freak out moment and everyone kind of hears it. And it's like I guess like if I was in his shoes at that point, like I would have a full mental breakdown. Mhm. Like a full like a full mental breakdown. Especially with us, we've been together for it's going to be 7 years. I'd have a full mental breakdown. I would I would <laughs> inconsolable. What would I even do? I don't know. We like, live together. What the do? heck? Where would I go? I don't know. But you wouldn't be I here. can't escape you. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much I try. I, I tell you, the dog, the cat, the house, all mine. We've argued about this before. Like, who gets the dog? The dog is, is my dog. He, he, no. Yeah. He's, my, he's my dog. He's a, Anthony, he's obsessed with me. He's obsessed with me, too. But, like, if another person comes near me, he, like, growls. <laughs> yeah, he's protective over you, but he listens to me. He he loves me so intensely. He tried, he busts in on me going to the bathroom, like, three times this morning. <laughs> he uses his nose to bust open the door. He is so rude. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm going to the bathroom here. <laughs> so, uh, he gets left at the altar, and... I'm trying to remember the sequence of events that happen after this. So begins his So begins wedding. his downward spiral into, like, depression and he heartbreak. He does some, like, bad weddings. and Well, like, the, the his friend is, like, calling uh, the girl, like, the B word. And he's like, don't call her that because we're going to get back together. And then there's going to be, like, animosity between us. And uh, he's, like, convinced that they're still going to get back together and all that stuff. Then his fiance she she stops by the house right yeah and she's like i realized like i was in love with the guy who was like lead singer of a band and not a wedding singer Mm -hmm. and it's like well people like grow up and like we have to get real people jobs and well she's like she's like dogging on him for like getting paid in meatballs and um doing the wedding singing it's like, so like there's a theme in this movie of like don't I'm, grow up <laughs> i'm like I, i'm a big person where it comes to like if it makes you happy and you're making enough money to get by like it's it's fine i guess like with me i'm like i make an we make enough money to get by i'm like i'm not living the life of a luxury life mm-hmm. i'm very much struggling but I love you, and I wouldn't leave you just because you make not enough money. Yeah. So I'll he... joke about I was supposed to marry, um, a f- like someone who made more money, but I fell in love with another teacher, like an imbecile. But yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm I'm probably fast forwarding a bit more than I probably should, but I'm having trouble remembering like the exact sequence of events. Um, Julia invites Robbie and the limo driver guy to her like engagement party, right? Like a, a kind of like a pre-wedding party. And she's like all like, oh man, my fiance Glenn, like he's not setting a date. And then they finally discuss setting the date and they have this party and Adam Sandler goes and that's where he kind of, um, forms like a friendship with julia um 
And then it kind of escalates from there. I don't know. Her, right? Am fiance, I her, her fiance, like, it's implied, like, he's cheating on no, her. No, it's not implied. He flat out says it later. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at this point, it's implied that he's, like, cheating on her, that the only reason they're getting married was because we've been together this long. I kind of owe it to her to get married. And it's like. But he doesn't want to do all the boring wedding. Like No, he wanted to go to Vegas and elope, which he sh- they should have. He didn't want to do all the boring wedding planning, so Julia convinces Robbie to go with her to, like, get the flowers all set, like, get all of the, like, menial tasks done for the wedding. And there's this one conversation that they have, and I don't remember when it was, but they talk about, like, when he knew that his girlfriend, he should have known that she was not the person for him. It's like when they were going on vacation to a place that he had never been before, she wouldn't let him sit in the window seat. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm like a big window seat person. I love sitting by the window because I like to look out Mm -hmm. and see like the skyline of a new place I've been. And if you wouldn't let me sit by the window and you've already been somewhere, I'd be so mad. (laughs) I'd be like, dude, I was mad because we had to sit next to um, one of Anthony's friends on a flight to Vegas and he wanted the window shade down and he was sitting in the aisle seat and I thought that was rude. <laughs> I was like, I want to look out the window. I just thought it was but rude. But he has like a little anxiety. But I just flying. thought it was rude to tell me what to do. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. Yes, he asked you, you politely. He asked you politely, but I could not say no. <laughs> so it was like he was telling me what to do. Because if I said no... He would cop an attitude, and you know he would cop an attitude. <laughs> no, I think it would have been fine. No, he would cop an attitude. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, gosh, where are we? We get a montage of, uh, oh, a, they he uh, a limo driver guy convinces Adam Sandler to do another wedding. He's like, you gotta get out of the rut. You gotta move on. You gotta do the wedding. So he does the wedding, but he's like, does it poorly because he's like all depressed and he does, he, a rendition of love stinks, but he calls, he like singles people out. He's like, we're not going to find love. Like love doesn't exist. And he singles out like a overweight gentleman, uh, a lady with sideburns and a table full of like nerds, (laughs) which he calls mutants. And I was like. Okay, maybe it's just not, as I've matured, maybe my sense of humor has matured too, but it's like, I don't necessarily know if I'm a big fan of comedy being like, uh, Uh make make fun of other people, like Adam Sandler making fun of other people instead of making fun of himself. You know what I mean? So like, somebody on Reddit one time said, and this is like a completely, this is like apples to oranges almost, but... It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Why it's been so successful and why they can get away with the stuff that they can get away with. Like, they did blackface on that show. Like, multiple times. But it's like, but, the, impl- like the implication that these are terrible human yes, beings. Yes. Like, they're making fun of themselves. They're not poking fun at other people. You know, whereas, like, in a lot of early Sandler movies maybe even later Sandler movies, it's not Sandler poking fun at himself. It's making fun of other people. Like, you're the joke. I'm not the joke. And that's kind of mean, I think. It is mean. Yeah. 
So I don't know if that's necessarily like my, like I cringe a little bit at that kind of humor now. When I was like 10, I might have found it funny, but. This little 10 year old Anthony was a jerk. Probably, but. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't necessarily think that making fun of people is funny anymore. Making fun of yourself is funny. So, like, why Sonny can get away with blackface is because, like, they're making fun of themselves. Their characters are so stupid and horrible that they're doing this. They're not making fun of, like, other, you know, ethnic groups or whatever. So, uh, gosh, where are we? He does the song. He gets punched. He gets kicked out of wedding. He quits being a wedding singer. And he does bar mitzvahs. And we get this nice little scene of him doing the bar mitzvah. And there's this like little kid who can't uh, was denied a dance from this girl. And Sandler gives him like a little pep talk and says like someone's going to come around. And then he uh, kind of gets Julia, who's waitressing, to dance with the kid. And it's like a very heartwarming, like, very nice. Oh my gosh, he was so good to this kid. <laughs> and it's like a little flirty. Thick. Oh, it's a meet cute. Is that a meet cute? No. No. Meet cute is when you meet for the first time. Oh. So, it, well, it's just a cute. <laughs> it's like a cute, um, oh man, look at how nice he is. And like they're kind of falling for each other because he's being so nice and she's kind of rolling with it. Wow. Romantic. This is like a prototypical romantic comedy right like wouldn't you say like it follows the formula of like a romantic comedy yes it's very formulatic maybe carrie fisher was uh the <laughs> one who did that <laughs> so uh then we get a little bit more of julia and glenn and he's kind of a jerk we find out his last name do you remember uh, it's Gulia? Yeah. <laughs> and Sandler's like, so her name is going to be Julia Gulia? And he's like, that's pretty funny. And Glenn, like, seriously is like, why is that funny? <laughs> and every time Sandler's characters, not just in this movie, but in other movies, I said this to you before, too. Anytime they're confronted with uncomfortable situations or questions that they don't know how to answer or don't want to answer, they just go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like refuse to take responsibility for it so he does that multiple times in this movie where he just responds with eh, I, I don't know i don't know i think one of the scenes that sticks out to me the most about like why like he's such a horrible guy is when they go all go they go on a double date so it's julia and glenn and then we have christine taylor's character another yes. waitress yes and they all go out to a club, and Julia gets like hammered. And reminded me of you when you get uh, you you have a little too much to drink when she pukes, and she's like, "I puked." <laughs> <laughs> You've um, done that to me before. I, I threw up. <laughs> but the men are like together alone, and it's like he brags about like cheating, and like being with You're very open about yeah, it. Yeah, like women that are more attractive than his fiance, and it's like. You should think, it doesn't matter how, like, by beauty standards, like, attractive your fiancé is. It should be, like, to you, that person is the most attractive person in the world because that's the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Mm -hmm. I would never say 
You try to get me in this trap all the time. I would never say. You try to trap me all the time. Do you think she's be- she's pretty? Or I'm just like, I, I will say a man. I, I do is, the Sandler. I think Ma- Michael B. Jordan is like so good looking. But I love you. I think you're cute. I tell you you're cute all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're so handsome. You're so cute. I love you. Like, I tell you that all the time. Yeah. So, uh, a si- sidebar. Um, do you know who they wanted to cast for the role of Glenn? Who? They couldn't get him. Guess. Just any actor. I don't know. Any actor you think would fit that role. I don't know. Jim Carrey. I wouldn't cast oh him. Oh, my God. He would have been horrible in that role. I think they'd pick, they had to pick someone who, like... Like a meathead. Yeah. Look like a dude, bro. Yeah. Exactly. We get so much 80s fashion, like pop culture fashion. And I was thinking about this while I was taking a shower today for some reason. I was like prepping for shower the podcast. Thoughts. Shower thoughts. Um, as I was prepping for the podcast, I said, so the movie takes place in 1985. The movie is made, well, filmed in 1997, released in 1998. You're about 12 years removed from the time period in which you're setting your movie but we almost make this movie feel like pop culture nostalgia with the amount of like 80s music and fashion and like things that were popular in that time that would be like and i was thinking about this as that would be like us in 2022 making a movie about set in 2010 and saying look at all this 2010 nostalgia and it just like wouldn't work (laughs) now like i don't think 2010 is so far removed from where we are now because i looked over at you when we were watching the movie and i was like was the 80s like this like did they really like dress like everybody dressed like this in the 80s or is this like a nostalgia um like a nostalgia uh we're gonna emphasize like the aesthetic of the 80s rather than what people in the 80s actually like looked like and then you told me you're like these people were alive in the 80s. So, like, maybe they know more than I do. I wasn't alive in the yeah. 80s. Like, but when I think of, like, I just felt it was, like, so 80s. It, like, I felt like it hit me over the head with the amount of 80s. Like, they. But then you complained about, like, where the crawdads sing and, like, it not being the right clothing. Because there's appropriate costume design and then there's hit you like overdoing costume design and production design. When when we saw it where the crawdads sing, which is supposed to take place in the 60s, right? Yeah. It's supposed to take place in 1969. Uh, 50s and 60s. 69 is when the trial is. So like maybe a year or two before that, right, when most of the movie is. Um so 60s aesthetic we get when like they're in the town. But other than that, uh, what's her name in the movie? Uh, uh, Kaya. Kaya is dressing like she lives in 2022. <laughs> like ripped up short jean shorts and like a tank. But she's also like poor and like. No, I understand that. So like all she can get is like hand-me-down clothes. Mm-hmm. It's not even hand-me-down clothes from like white people. But even like, it's, Tate, like the people Tate of color. and Chase were both dressed like how normal uh young adult white guys would go to a bar in 2022 (laughs) like go day drinking or something (laughs) i'm a day drinker so 
sometimes I think costumed because I I told Brie when we walked out of where the crawdad scene. I'm like, I want to fire the costume designer for that movie because they didn't seem like they did their job. But who am I? I don't work in movies. Who am I? Um, so sometimes I think that they hit you over the head with the aesthetic of the time period. But other times I'm like, man, I need more aesthetic from the time period. I don't know if we're somewhere in between in this movie or what. Uh, but that's one of the things that I noticed a bit more. So where do we go next, Brie? We go. God, where did we leave off? I don't know. They share... We've been skipping around. I know. They honestly. share a little kissy kiss. Oh, because they have this debate and I wanted to have That's this before the club scene, though. Before the club scene, uh, Julia and Christine Taylor's character have a debate on how to kiss in your wedding. Yes, and that gave me an excuse to kiss Anthony on our couch. Do you French in your wedding or do you... It's an open mouth, passionate kiss, no tongue. So you're on the side of Julia because she says like kind of the same thing. Yeah, no tongue. Ew, no. You're not French in your fiance. Make it oh, extra sloppy. Yeah, you're not going to be gross at your wedding. <laughs> I made him extra sloppy for you. I was like, the kiss has has to be long, but not like too long. Yeah. <laughs> and it can't be short either. Like it can't be a peck. It has to be like more. No peck, but you're not like slobbering on each yeah. other. Don't ruin my makeup, Anthony. I will kick your butt. It costs $300. Well, also, like, you don't want to make your guests uncomfortable. Yes. It's like they're seeing, like, softcore pornography up there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Sorry. Grandma. I will I will go for the, the butt grab, though. Do not go for the butt grab. I will go for the I butt grab. I hate when you do that in public. Like, <laughs> she'll do that in public sometimes. I'm like, stop it. Like, people are here gosh i try to do it when no one's looking <laughs> but you're you trying to be a ninja but you're but like you're the most obvious to, but you're allowed to have that butt out in public so why are you not under the impression that i'm gonna squeeze it god you you walk out of this house with that butt <laughs> what do you think i can just resist what's that line from brett bradley cooper says in a star is born when she walks away he's like hey I just wanted to see you walk away one more time. Or something like that. <laughs> That's what I think of. I don't know. Anthony's got pretty much like just a standard butt. But I just love to go. It's honestly just. Stick, stick, stick. It, it, it's not there for much. It's got one purpose. <laughs> Two purposes. For Brianna to squeeze. Is one of them. Yep. And huh. after I eat. And my body absorbs all the nutrients from the food. Okay. Get over it. You poop, you poop like maybe once a week. You have you never eat anything fibrous. That's just getting too, <laughs> <laughs> too gross. He don't eat fiber. I eat so My much, diet is so bad. I eat so much vegetables and I've been trying. Okay. We don't want to make this talking poop. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different podcast. That's, a different, that's our side podcast. Side, after dark. <laughs> after dark. Talking poop. With <laughs> all things poop. All things poop. It's telling you the straight poop. <laughs> I'm sorry about this podcast, oh my God, friend. This is a disaster. This is what happens when we don't take I know, notes. This is a disaster. Well, podcast. okay, let's just let's let's get to, to the meat and potatoes. They realize they both like have feelings for each other. Wow, what a what, surprise! What a surprise! And like, she's like ready to like call off her wedding. She goes to his house like. The night before oh, he her gets, wedding, like, hammered, drunk at a uh, yeah two two days before her wedding, she goes to like 
hang out with him, but he well, got okay. hammered. And fought with Glenn. Yeah. He gets, like, hammered. Well, also, he, uh, Robbie, uh, he is being pursued a bit by Christine Taylor's character, and he refuses her advance, and she's like, oh my god, you're in love with Julia. And he does not like Glenn, because Glenn admitted that he cheats on Julia, and, uh, He's like, I just don't understand why Glenn, she's with Glenn. Like, why she's with a guy like that. And Christine Taylor's character says... Money! Well, he's got a lot of money. And that's, like, influential. So, Robbie stops wedding singing and tries to get a job at a bank. And his interaction with the guy at the bank is so funny. I just like, you don't even have to hire me. Just give me some business he's cards like, with my name on them. He's like, why do you want the job? And Robbie goes, well, I like money. I don't have a lot of it. I want more of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm also trying to impress a girl. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he's not very good at that. And Julia, uh, they have a big fight. And Robbie's like, you are uh, only with him for the money. And, and she takes really a big offense to that. A big offense. But also he's kind of right. And they have a big fight, and there's, like, misconception, misunderstanding. Oh, my God. Wow. There's uh, uh, an epiphany that the character has. She's on a flight going to Las Vegas, because now they're uh, Julia and, and Glenn are just going to elope in Vegas. They're on a flight to Vegas, and Robbie has an epiphany. Oh, my God. I need to get on that flight. And he gets on a flight not knowing it's the same flight that they're mm -hmm. on. And he tells the story. Well, he's on first class, because that was the only one available. And he's telling all the first class passengers about the story, including Billy Idol, who's there also, and they're all like super into the story can we take a moment to like appreciate like adam sandler's characters in first class and acts like how i would act in first class where you're like how much is the champagne it's free what this is crazy or they give him a hot towel and, and he like puts it on as a bib it's <laughs> like i don't know what to do with this i just feel like that would be me if i ever went in first class. i wouldn't know what to do with myself i'm but used to to um knees to chest no room uncomfortable as hell like you get just like the sodas and the little pack of peanuts we're like first class like they get like alcohol and steak and like <laughs> actual like good stuff and i'm like dang what's that like what's that so like? this is a moment in the movie like a gag like this where he puts the hot towel on as a bib and then is corrected where if this was like billy madison-esque character he would have like gone to an 11 and done like some outrageous shit with the towel like and wiped, like, stood up and like wiped his ass yeah like spoken gibberish or something <laughs> but in this it's like the gag is there and it's funny but the way that adam sandler as robbie does the gag is more of like oh i just didn't know i just didn't know and I think it makes it better because it's like a little bit more of a subtle gag. Um, yeah, everybody's super into the story and then they realize, wow, we're all on the same flight. And all of the first class like flight attendants and Billy Idol help him sing a song to uh, uh, Julia. And then they kiss. Aww. And then, then, then they get married. Marriage. Marriage. 
And that's that's it, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, funny. we missed the scene where um they're trying to Julia's trying to hire a separate wedding singer for her wedding and it's John Lovitz. Oh yeah, and like at one point like he's like thanks for giving up on it cuz then now my business has tripled and she's like you've convinced me to hire a DJ. <laughs> well, and then uh Robbie goes up and sings a song about heartbreak and it's like um really depressing. And Lovitz is in the background and he says this one line, which um, I, for, for whatever reason, I remembered like so well in that scene where Lovitz goes, he's losing his mind and I'm reaping all the benefits. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to me for some reason. I tell you because it's a funny line. It's a really funny line. Um, anyway, I think that's it. I don't know. Did we? Oh, so there's another funny gag that I like died at for some reason, and it's when they're they're doing the montage of them going to all the different places and doing the different like wedding planning tasks, and they're uh, like pulling a prank on the limo driver, and they're like testing him and making him drive the limo through like zigzag oh my god it's so funny and she's because they're like sitting back there she's like they're timing him yeah she's like i'm gonna hire him because he's the only limo driver in this town (laughs) and it's like but he's going through all like these tests to like he's like running an obstacle course so funny he like takes like the mannequin bride and groom like shoves it (laughs) it's like how fast can you get them and i was like where can i hire this guy for our wedding yeah, and then he's like, I got the job, right? <laughs> it's like, you're too slow. <laughs> I, I thought that was, like, really funny. Um, but overall, Brie, I think that's it. Uh, is, did we miss anything significant? I don't think so. I feel like this was a good movie. Like It's a very formula-based romantic comedy movie. It's very, like, classic. We have Dark Knight of the Soul time. Like, it, it's very much beat sheet where it's like, Here's our character. Here's the world that they live in. Here's how they're dealing with things now. This is what changes. They refuse the change, but then they start accepting the change. This is the world that they're now introduced to. They accept that. Oh, then they hit a little bit of a snag and uh, the closer to the end of the movie where they get depressed and like try to give up on what they're pursuing. Oh, but then they're brought back and we get a synthesis. The two worlds combining to make a new world where the character has changed. It follows that pretty formula yeah. based. Um does it make your list? No. Um, I I like it. Uh, it's not it's not a movie that makes my list. I think if people watch this movie um, that don't know about the 80s, they're going to think like the 80s Can was Can you imagine like, a gen, like an early Gen Z or like a, no, a late Gen Z would be it because that would be young, younger people. Like if I want, let my, like... 13-year-olds now, if they want, they'd be like, why is everyone dressed so freaking weird? What's up with all the hot pink? And like, yeah, and they'd be like, what the heck? I don't necessarily think that the 80s was like that all the time, you know? Um, I'm going to say an honorable mention for this movie. I'm going to go honorable mention because it's not the movie that I'm choosing to be on the list of the top 100 for the Sandler series. But I'm going to go with honorable mention. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Is that it? I guess. Are we done? I think we're done. Oh my gosh. So if you want... We got, well, now we know for the next time. 
we got to take notes. Yeah, we're going to take notes. Next, <laughs> next, um, the next movie that we are going to be watching in our series is a Meryl movie, Devil Wears Prada. So stay tuned for that. Follow us on our social media at review underscore pod on Instagram. You can fi- um, send us an email at reviewpodcast1 at gmail.com. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at GLDTV1. And if you want to get a hold of me, um, you must plan an entire wedding and wait for me to show up at the altar. Yep. And or um, you can crash our wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. We've had uh, stories in the past of people that we've known who have been victims of wedding crashing. Oh, my God. My friend, someone crashed her wedding and stole stuff. Oh, the c- people that crash stole stuff? Yeah, they stole cigars. Yikes. They had like a cigar bar at their wedding and the photographer like sent them like their photos. There's like 10 photographs like, of like these two women in the sky at the cigar bar. And my friend's like, those aren't guests at our wedding. We have no idea who those people are. They just straight up stole cigars from us. Yikes. And I'm like, and she's like, we knew this was would be like an issue. It might be an issue because like the place that she had, there you were like keep tabs there was everybody. like three other weddings going on at the same mm-hmm. the same. Well, I venue. remember when like the fireworks display was going on, the, and the and same wedding thought everybody it was for them. came out thinking it was for them. <laughs> I was like, no, this isn't for you guys. You guys got a free show. It was a very nice wedding. It was cool. Our wedding will not have fireworks. No. It will have um, all of our friends getting sloppy drunk and leaving early. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that sounds about right. Closing bottom shelf time. liquor only. Yeah, bottom shelf liquor. Um, we're going to have Coors Light that's as fancy as we get. Yep. Stella Artois. Stella Artois. Anyway, uh, that's it for us. My name is Anthony. And I'm Bree. And this is the Review Podcast. Come back next week for The Devil Wears Prada. Skippy. The Review Podcast. Yeah.